My name is Art Ellis Green. Welcome to Grace. Glad you're here. We begin a brand new series this morning entitled Thanks Living. Living a lifestyle of being thankful. Of overcoming the besetting sin, the habit of ingratitude. Of giving thanks in all the circumstances of our lives. Thanksgiving is about 30 days from now, right? So we set aside a day in America to give thanks. But what do you think about when you think about Thanksgiving? Some of you think about the Thanksgiving feast, right? Of the turkey and sweet potatoes and pumpkin pie. Some of you think about the games afterward. What if it were that we stepped into a lifestyle of thanks living? What if God wanted to transform us at the level of the heart, turning us into people giving thanks to our God for his grace and experiencing his joy? The Greek word for giving thanks is the word eucharisto. Jesus took bread and gave thanks, Eucharisto. He lived a lifestyle of Eucharisto, giving thanks. We as a church are all about discipleship, being disciples, making disciples who live and love like Jesus. Jesus' lifestyle was that of giving thanks. So when we give thanks, we're slowing down from the normal racing and rushing to see the grace of God in our lives. In fact, the Greek word charis is contained within the larger word eucharisto. Charis means grace. So when we see God's grace given to us, we return thanks to him, and then a derivative word, kara, meaning joy, we experience greater joy. The giving of thanks is the work of the Spirit in our lives that runs over and against our natural tendency to complain and fuss and protest. We are pretty good at complaining, fussing, and protesting. Not quite as good at giving thanks. What if I told you that science is catching up to what God has said about this healthier lifestyle of giving thanks? Studies are showing now that those who give thanks who engaged in thanksgiving actually lowered their blood pressure, increased their endorphins, and strengthened their immune systems. I went up this week to Chicago, not to see the Cubs play, but to watch my little cubby play, Josh. He's not so little anymore, but he's our youngest son, Josh. It was their regular season last soccer match. You know, from the time Josh has been little, he's been playing soccer. (laughs) I was thinking of the game, you know, the conditions were a little adverse. The skies had been gray all day, the rain pelting, the strong Chicago winds blowing, temperatures in the 40. I was thinking that I could complain about the weather conditions, or I could be thankful for someone who lent me their umbrella to keep the rain off. I could be thankful for a hot cup of chocolate to kind of warm my soul. I could be thankful for a hot shower when this is all done (laughs) to kind of get my cold clothes off. So Thanksgiving has everything to do with our focus. What am I focused on? The circumstances I am in or upon the grace of God? Before the game, I um, was invited over to Josh's house where he lives with four roommates, four, five guys live in this house. So I hadn't seen the house, so I was taking this little tour. And down in the basement, Josh and them, they have a washer and dryer. I said, Josh, 
you have a washer and dryer in your house. Now, Josh grew up with a washer and dryer in his house. His dorm that he moved out of had a washer and dryer in the basement. And now this house has a washer and dryer. So no big deal, you know, washer and dryer. But to me, in college and graduate school, I didn't have a washer and dryer. When Debbie and I were married, we didn't have a washer and dryer. So we take our clothes to the laundromat. You know, sometimes the washers were occupied. We'd wait a while for those washers to become available. We'd carry our quarters, you know, to plop into those machines. And we'd spend several hours there at the laundromat, you know. So I said, Josh, you have a washer and dryer. I was really glad for God's goodness and grace shown to him. But when we fail to notice the goodness of God, we miss out on being thankful. And I want you to experience thankfulness. Complaining comes pretty easily to us. Driving home on Thursday from BWI on traffic, you know, the traffic on 70 was pretty heavy. Debbie and I both had somewhere to be, so I remember thinking, we'll both make it if this traffic keeps moving. And then I saw the brake lights. For 2.4 miles, I went five miles an hour or less, most of which in a standstill. Now, God had given us a beautiful day to enjoy. God had given us a comfortable car to ride in. I was a little worried about the gas. The light was on. <laughs> Pastor R runs out of gas again. God had given us grace on this journey. But there I was for 2.4 miles, realizing I could complain about the conditions I were in or be thankful for everything God had blessed me with. Then there's a day in our life when all we did was doctor's appointments. You have one of those days, like, all I did was I went to the doctor. I've had a few of those days in the last three years. For me, it involves driving back to Baltimore, giving myself time to deal with the traffic, you know, navigating GPS to the parking garage, checking in, you know, waiting around, undergoing the procedures, seeing the doctors, you know, hearing the results. It's so easy to complain that all I did was a doctor's appointment. But then we slow down and think. We live in a time when all of this is available to us. This is part of God's grace to us, to have doctors who spent their entire lives preparing to help us, and the wisdom to know what to say to us in our situation. This is part of God's grace. So Josh started his game, right? And he got some man points because he's playing in the cold rain, and he has an injury, he has a torn labrum. One of his muscles beside his hip is torn. Now, the condition for Josh will probably require surgery and rehab, which will require, require making doctor's appointments, giving enough time for traffic, navigating by GPS to the parking garage, checking in, you know, waiting around, seeing the doctor, getting the surgery, you know, going through the rehab, dealing with insurance companies. So we have these choices in life between being annoyed and irritated and being thankful and seeing the grace of God. There's a book I've been reading. Maybe you have the book. It's entitled 1,000 Gifts by Ann Boskamp. If you don't have a copy of it, you can get it on Amazon Prime. In about two days it'll come. Mine came this week. 
or there's lots of used copies available for one penny plus shipping and mailing. So you can get this book, and it's about her journey toward thankful living. The story begins with her suffering and ingratitude. The death of her sister drove gratitude away. So 1,000 Gifts is a biographical account of seeing her need for gratitude and learning to express it in spite of life's trials. She calls it the Eucharisto life. Non-Eucharisto is the fall, you know, humanity's discontent with all that God gives. But what she craved in her life was to take hold of a lifestyle of thanksgiving. And this is what she does in the book. She begins to order her world and write down in her journal the things she's thankful for. She writes down 1,000 gifts of God's grace. Number one, morning shadows across the floor. Number two, jam piled up high on toast. Number three, the cry of the blue jay. They live on a farm. The cry of the blue jay up in the spruce. She begins to cultivate a thankful spirit. She moves from being unthankful to being thankful. And that's the journey we're going to be on for these next 30 days. Right now, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to study three concepts this morning, and the scripture that's going to overarch our study will be 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. It says these words, be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all situations, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It is God's will for you to be joyful in all the circumstances of your life. It is God's will for you to give thanks no matter what you are dealing with, asking him for his help. And it is God's will for you to give thanks in all situations. To be joyful always, does that include traffic jams? Does that include lengthy medical procedures? Does that include the computer uh, mishaps and malfunctions? Does that include dealing with family? Does that include my work situation, being joyful always, and pray continually, letting the grace of God be foremost in our minds. He gives grace to us in the traffic jam. He gives us the patience to wait. He gives us water to drink. He gives us sometimes company to be with. He sometimes gives us time to be alone. To be in touch with God's grace and enter a spirit of thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for this vehicle. Thank you for this provision. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for the sky I can enjoy. Thank you for the company I am with. And thank you, God, for the solitude. Luke chapter 10. After this, Jesus appointed 72 others common people, just like you and I, and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now the custom of the day was that when the king was coming to town, somebody would go before him to announce the king is coming. And Jesus would give very specific instructions to his disciples. 
He said, I'm sending you out like lambs among the wolves. I don't want you to take a purse with money inside. Don't take a bag with extra clothes. Don't take sandals. Just trust me. Don't engage in idle chit-chat on the way. And when you enter a house, first say to the house, peace be to this house. And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. Lay hands on the sick and heal them and announce that the kingdom of God is very near. Jesus was teaching his disciples all about the kingdom. We've said that Jesus is the king, and he came with a kingdom message. And the kingdom of God is like a farmer who is sowing seed in his field. The kingdom of God is like a treasure that somebody found and sold everything they had to take possession. The kingdom of God is like a banquet that you're invited to. So the 70 persons here heard the message of the kingdom, and their lives were transformed by the king. And now they were sent out on kingdom business with a kingdom mindset. Jesus sent them out. If you are a disciple, you are sent into this world to bear witness. If you are a business owner, you are sent to the marketplace to live out kingdom values. I heard about a man whose name is Flo in North Carolina who owns an auto business. And he did a study on prices paid by consumers on new cars. And he found that the people paying the most for new cars were African-American women. And he found that those who were paying the least for new cars were white males. And he wanted to implement fairness in his business, justice. So what he implemented was a fixed price for all people, whether you are a male or female, black or white. And then to not withhold information from any customer that might be useful in them purchasing the car. He's trying to implement kingdom values in his business. If you are in education, an administrator, a teacher, a student, you are to live out kingdom values in that setting. You are sent on that campus to be God's man, to be God's woman, to bring joy into that classroom, classroom to live out your life of integrity. Jesus sent his disciples out on mission. So let me ask you a question. Do you believe that your life is a mission? Do you believe that your life is sent out to be on mission for God? That God has given you a mission to fulfill with your life? Oftentimes, a mission we have will be a burden that we carry in our heart. Yesterday, we went to the rescue mission to do a fall festival for kids. And the kids in the city came. We had so much fun getting to know the kids in the city. They enjoyed bouncing on the moon bounce and, you know, making crosses and um, trying to eat these donuts on a stick. And Kenzie shared the gospel, and 15 people came into the kingdom of Christ through the presentation of the gospel. You see, yeah, that's something to clap about. Put some balloons up next week to celebrate. You know, why do we share the love of Christ to the poor and the marginalized? Because we are sent out on a mission. The love of Jesus compels us. Why do we try to rescue people from sex trafficking? Because the love of Jesus compels us that we are sent out on a mission. Why do we try to help people find affordable housing? Because we're sent out on a mission. The love of Jesus compels us. 
Why do we come beside immigrants, teaching them our language and our culture? Because we are sent out on a mission by Jesus. Why do we go every day to our job to do the very best that we can do? Because we are sent out on a mission. You see, God has reconciled us to himself, and we are sent out on a mission of reconciliation. God has given us hope, and we give this hope to the people in our world. God has loved us, and so we share this love with people in our world. From my earliest days as a believer, I have seen the power of gathering together as community to hear the word of God, and then the commission of Jesus to be sent out. I was just a one-month-old believer, and a call came in on a Sunday night. A man was facing brain surgery, and the person who was discipling me said, R, will you go? And I said, sure. And it was about 10 o'clock by the time I got to his hospital room in Southern Maryland Hospital, and his name was Selden Dar. I walked into his room, no kidding, I walked into his room, and he said, thank you for coming. I know it's late. How do I get saved? And I said to him, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. How about your wife? Her name was Kitty. I said, is Kitty saved? She said, nope, I'm not saved either. I said, Kitty, would you like to be saved? And that night, about midnight, both Kitty and Selden walked into the kingdom. And he survived the operation. And he had some cards printed up that said, the power of prayer. And he went around from hospital room to hospital room, sharing his story of being transformed by Jesus Christ and asking them, how can I pray for you? You see, when we're sent out, we're sent out to the hospitals to find the patients. We're sent out to the prisons, to those behind doors. We're sent out to the schools to find the lost. You see, God has sent us out on mission. We are on a mission by God. You know, why did I go? Because God had put me out on mission. Why did he go? He understood the greater mission. Why do you go? Because God has given you a mission. Well, what was their mission? They were to travel the highways, the byways, compelled by the love of Jesus, to go to a house and proclaim to that house, shalom, peace be unto this house, and to heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God has come near. You see, to be missional, we have to embrace the fact that his church is to be on mission to be sent out. You say, Pastor R., what is this peace? Peace means different things to different people. To some, peace means when the neighbor's playing his drums that he stops practicing his drums late at night. To others, peace is what the patient wants when they anxiously wait in the doctor's office to be told the results of the tests. Webster looks at peace two different directions. One focuses on the cessation of hostilities. Now, I'd say we as Christ followers all long for there to be peace in places like the Middle East where there is so much conflict. But peace also has a sense in the Hebrew of being freedom from inner turmoil, better known as peace of mind. So we see that this definition of peace being cessation of hostilities comes from the Roman pax, pax romana, meaning the peace of Rome. 
It meant the cessation of hostilities because the Romans had conquered and the nation was vanquished. But the Hebrew concept of peace means wholeness, wellness, well-being, soundness in mind, health, safety, prosperity in a permanent sense. Peace, lasting peace, transcends the situations and circumstances of our lives. And it does not come from us. It comes from God. You see, we are not in a position to attain peace ourselves. It is God who gives to us shalom. The prophet Isaiah said, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in God. Isaiah also would say, for to us a son is given, to us a child is born, and the government will rest upon his shoulder, and he will be called a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Peace is a gift from Jesus. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you, not as this world gives, but I give it unto you as a gift. This is a gift that must be received, the peace of God. How do we receive the gift? Well, he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The peace is the peace that God gives to us. So I'd like to make three points as we close things out this morning about this mission and now our scripture of being joyful always, giving thanks in all situations, and praying without ceasing. I'd like to illustrate. Number one, being joyful always requires that our mind be focused on what God has given us. The disciples we find in this story in verse 17 were coming back with joy and gladness. They were all fired up. They went out on a mission. They stepped into battle. They did what Jesus told them to do. And they had power over the enemy. Even the demons were uh, subject to them. I, I love the fact that Jesus, before he refocuses their joy, he informed them that their ability to cast out demons was evidence of something even greater. Verse 18 says that Jesus saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Satan was like a lightning falling from heaven. He was falling down lightning fast. Jesus had seen the defeat of Satan, Satan being conquered. The mission of the 70 was a preview of what was yet to come. Now Jesus refocuses them and says, if the fall of Satan was good news, a cause for rejoicing, then their salvation would be even better because it would be a cause of greater joy. Jesus told them to rejoice in the fact of their salvation and the fall of the enemy's defeat. Jesus is saying, that there's only one thing that's necessary for us to be able to rejoice, and that is that our names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that our names are written in heaven. If your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you are saved. The moment we are saved, 
we enter into a relationship with a heavenly father. We get adopted into God's family. These become our brothers and our sisters. And this adoption is a permanent relationship. We are eternally secure. And our Father will take care of us and give access to us, unhindered, unlimited. We can take our burdens to God and find help. We can take our hurts to God and get his healing. We can take our problems to God and find solutions. What Jesus was saying is, rejoice, rejoice always that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And then pray continually. Praying continually moves our hearts to be aligned with God's heart. In the story, in verse 2, it says these words. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into his harvest field. About two weeks ago, I went to the pumpkin patch with my grandson, William. I called it Pick a Pumpkin with Pop at the Pink Pumpkin Patch. It was a Sunday afternoon, and the sunset was beautiful at Jumbo's Pumpkin Patch. So we climbed onto our hay wagon, and we went out into the countryside over the top of the hill. And there on the side of the hill were thousands and thousands of pumpkins. Some of the pumpkins were orange. Some of the pumpkins were green. Some of the pumpkins were orange and green. You knew that part was coming. Some of the pumpkins were itsy-bitsy baby little pumpkins. Some of the pumpkins were too big to pick up kind of pumpkins. But there I saw on the side of the hill that the harvest was plenteous, was plentiful. There were more pumpkins on the side of that hill than William, his mother and father, and grandpa could harvest. In fact, if we had all the harvesters come together, we couldn't have brought all those pumpkins back in our little hay wagon. Which makes me think about the world we live in. The world we live in, the harvest is very plentiful. So what do we need to do? We need to pray the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. If all of us get together and become workers and become prayers, our prayers get aligned with God's heart that all those pumpkins be brought into the barn. That all of those people that are smashed, you know, William, <laughs> William, my little grandson, William, when he sees a smashed pumpkin, he goes, oh no, oh no. So we go, I just go, William, it's just a smashed pumpkin. He goes, oh no, Grandpa. I go, William, that pumpkin that's smashed, that becomes the seed of the next generation pumpkins. Next year's pumpkins will come up because someone's going to plant that seed. And you see this, the ground that becomes so hard has to be broken. And that seed has to fall into the ground. And that seed has to take root. And the next generation of pumpkins will come to bear. You see, we are the workers being sent into the harvest field. We pray for more workers, more of us to go into that harvest field, to see that the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are so very few. That's why when you go to work tomorrow, you are God's man, God's woman on mission. 
God has given you a mission to your family. God has given you a mission to your neighborhood. And God has given you a mission where you work to be an influence for Jesus Christ. It's my prayer that our hearts would get aligned with God's heart. Prayer is a mighty weapon in the kingdom. We have to learn how to pray without ceasing. One of my favorite stories on this is Daniel. Daniel didn't pray all the time, but he did pray three times a day. He prayed in the morning, at noontime, and night. And Daniel was taken to Babylon when he was just 16 years old. And now, 66 years later, the king wanted to make him number two in the kingdom. The king wanted to set him over the entire kingdom that he might not suffer loss. But there was a plot against Daniel. They tried to find dirt on Daniel, and they couldn't. Wouldn't you love to have Daniel running for president? Just a little aside. Daniel wasn't corrupt. He wasn't negligent. So they knew the only way to get Daniel was to forbid him to pray. So his enemies went to the king. They lied to the king, saying that all 120 of us agreed about something. That's a lie. Then they flattered the king. They said, we should make a law that says nobody prays except to the king for 30 days. And if he does, he gets thrown into the lion den. And the king signed the law into being. When Daniel learned of the decree, he did not hesitate to pray. He went to his upstairs room and he opened his windows toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, Daniel got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God. In the midst of the political swirl, with plots being um, bandied about, with those out to get Daniel, with the king promising to put him in the lion's den, Daniel prayed to God, giving thanks to God. That tells me that we can pray no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the situation is, that we can pray to our Father, asking Him for His help, and giving thanks in all situations, all the circumstances. Giving thanks in all circumstances elevates our soul to celebrate the goodness of God giving to us gifts. Thankfulness is something that flowed out of the heart of Jesus to the Father. Look at verse number 21 in the story. He said, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. There's a situation you are in. There's a circumstance you find yourself in. But God will never stop being good. If there's nothing else that we can praise God for, if there's absolutely nothing good in your life, if there's only darkness all around you, God will never stop being good, and we can praise Him for His goodness. We can praise Him for the good gifts He gives to His children. That no matter what the circumstance I find myself in, I can elevate my soul to celebrate the goodness of God from giving me gifts. I can thank him for an umbrella that was lent to me in the cold rain. I can thank him for a cup of hot chocolate to warm my soul. I can thank him for a hot shower coming out of the cold. Debbie said, Ar, you're taking an enormously long shower tonight. 
And I said, it feels so good just being in the warmth and sensing the goodness of God on my back. Giving thanks to God in all circumstances. So I've got a little challenge for you. Some of you will do it, some of you won't. But those of you who do it will be glad you did. I'd like you to take the next 30 days and get yourself a journal and record in the journal God's expressions of grace to you, of how God has been good to you, the gifts he has given to you. Now, some of you might make it to a 1,000, like uh, Ann Voskamp did. Some of you may just get started. But it's the, it's the movement of our hearts from being grumbling and complaining to moving into thankfulness. And when you move into thankfulness, amazing things will begin to happen in your life. I want to say that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And what did he do with the bread? He gave thanks. Jesus knew that the skies would have to become broken in order for the rains to come. He knew that the ground would have to be broken like our hearts have to be broken. The ground would have to be broken for the seed to be planted. And when that stalk of wheat came up with its grain, the grain would have to be broken, crushed to become bread. We are the body of Jesus. We are the visible presence of Jesus in this world. And our lives are broken. But Jesus is the healer who makes us whole, who speaks shalom into our life, the wellness and soundness, shalom into our lives, the peace of God. So we set aside some time to give thanks to God for his goodness to us, for being our Savior, for making for us a place in heaven, for giving us hope in the midst of very trying times, for giving us peace no matter what the circumstances we have to deal with are. Would you pray with me? Father, we understand that being thankful is like bringing light into a room. There is darkness all around us, grumbling, complaining, protesting. But God, you said to us to do all things without complaining or grumbling, to hold on to an attitude of gratitude, to see your hand, your grace evident in our lives, of how, God, you have been our help. And even as David would be, Daniel would be on his knees in an hour of trial, God, teach us how to be always praying, to be rejoicing, to be giving thanks in all things, all circumstances, for this is your will for us in Christ Jesus. In these next few moments, God, would you, through your Spirit, bring to our mind that which we can be thankful for. Our precious Jesus, broken on a cross, blood streaming from his body, giving us full atonement, full remission, full forgiveness for our sins. Thank you that our shame and our guilt and our sin has been wiped away. Thank you that we are brand new in Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for the forgiveness we have received, the new life we live. And we pray, Lord, you'll meet us in this experience. May we encounter the living Christ. Come near to us, God, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name.